Well, we continue our march through the book of Romans this morning, and we're in Romans chapter 6. As you know, sometimes we've taken small bites, sometimes we've taken big bites. This morning, we're going to take a huge bite. Because as I started going through this, I thought I'd do it in three parts, but the first part went right into the second part. Second part went right into the third part. And parts one, two, and three all refer back to chapter five. So put your seatbelts on. Um, I have an hour and five minutes. Oh, no, we don't stop at one o'clock. I forgot. Um, But it was interesting. One thing that that came to mind this morning uh, as I was coming here, um, I hope you're enjoying this series. Here's here's why I say that. Um, Anybody who has been in the pulpit for a number of years always faces the following problem. If you're preaching and teaching doctrine, someone comes up to you and says, why don't you preach and teach prophecy? And then if you're preaching and teaching prophecy, someone comes up to you and says, why don't you preach application? And then if you're preaching application, someone comes up to you and says, why aren't you preaching social justice and moral issues? Here's the key. I preach the word of God. And I understand that not everybody will be happy every Shabbat with what I say. But your argument is not with me. Amen? Okay. I got that off my shoulders. All right. Chapter 6 of the book of Romans, this incredible letter that Paul writes to the congregation of believers in Rome. I want to read the entire chapter and then go back through it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Messiah... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God, in Messiah Yeshua Adonainu, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? 
Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were, emphasis, were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now I speak in human terms because of the weariness of your fle- weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit into holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word given to Shaul. Thank you, Lord, that you can, by your spirit, help us to understand what we need to do and we need to know in this day and in this age. And I commit this sermon to you. I pray in your son's name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is, Who Are You? Who Are You? It actually could be called, Whose Are You? But I'm not sure if that's proper grammar. So we're just going to leave it, oh, my grammarian there says it is. So we're going to leave it at, Who Are You? And I'm going to ask five questions this morning. First, have you died to sin? Second, have you been crucified and resurrected? Third, who reigns in your life? Fourth, do you take advantage of God's grace? And fifth, what fruit are you producing? First, we look at verses 3 and 4. Have you died to sin? There are lots of theological, sermon-like words and phrases that describe what's being spoken of here. One of them is called co-crucifixion and co-resurrection. What it literally means is that when we were baptized into Messiah, and by the way, I've mentioned before, I'll mention again, there are some things that are worth mentioning over and over again. Ten times more often in Scripture, you will find a reference to us being in him than him in us us in him than him in us. When we were baptized into Messiah, we were also baptized into his death. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Here's the the thing. Sometimes we have to recognize that there should have been a funeral in our lives for the old man 
before we can celebrate the new life that is the new man. And sometimes, dear ones, in our flesh, we try to resurrect the old man because that's what we're familiar with as opposed to leaving him dead and dead and dead and more dead and really dead. I don't know why, but the picture of the Princess Bride is absolutely coming into my head right now where they go to the wizard and they say he's dead and the wizard said, no, he's only mostly dead. No such thing. (laughs) You either are or you're not. And so when you are in Messiah, you are baptized into his death. Why is that so important? Because we were tied, if you will, to the laws and rules and regulations and the statutes of the Lord, just like a husband and a wife are tied together in a covenantal relationship. And the only thing that can break that relationship is death so that we can be married to another. And you have, if you by faith have accepted the free gift of God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, you have died. As I've said before, Messiah didn't come to the world to help you out and make you better. He came to kill you. Because the new you is a whole lot more fruitful than the old you. So that's the first point. If we have been baptized into Messiah, we have also been baptized into his death. If we are baptized into Messiah and baptized into his death, we are also buried with him and raised from the dead with him. I was thinking about this last night as I was going over my notes and saying that um, my mortal body sure doesn't feel like it's been raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, my mortal body feels like it's dying. But we're not talking about the physical here. We're talking about the spiritual, and that will become evident as we continue on in this passage. To be in Messiah means that we are killed with him, crucified with him, buried with him, and raised with him as well to walk in newness of life. And so the question is, who are you? Are you the new creation raised with Messiah? Or are you a new creation who still likes to walk like the old man? Who are you? Or whose are you? Question number two. Have you been crucified and resurrected? That is, united in his likeness. We're looking at verses 5 through 11. We are crucified from what is called the body of sin. That body of sin, by our crucifixion, is done away with. And I want you to understand that the verbs in here are past tense. It doesn't say being done away with. Even in the Greek, it's past tense. The Greek um, uh, grammatical understanding that's taught in seminaries is done deal. I don't know how to say that in Greek. But it's a done deal. The body of sin has been crucified with him and sin has been done away with. We are no longer slaves of sin. No longer slaves of sin. We no longer look at sin as our authority. 
figure. And I want you to understand that in this passage, sin is personified as if it's living. And I believe if you look at the ramifications and the workings of sin, it acts as if it's a living entity. It's not a thing, it's a power. The power of sin. And the question here is, are you still giving authority to sin even though Scripture says clearly you are no longer slaves of sin? Why? Because the death, the co-crucifixion of you with your Messiah frees us from sin. No longer does sin have authority in our life. He died to sin once for all. And y'all are all. Once, 2,000 some years ago, for all, whoever would come after him. And he only dies once. Dear ones, spiritually, we only die once as well. I speak about 40 times. Sundays, Wednesday nights around the mid-Atlantic area. Many times at the end of the service, I think they teach this in seminary. Um, They have a time where people can um, come down to the altar and either confess and receive the Messiah or rededicate themselves. And many churches that I've been to two, three, and four times over the last 20-some years in ministry, it seems as if every time I go to the church, the same people are rededicating themselves. You ever notice that? And every time they do, it seems like they go up slower and slower. Do you know why that is? They've worn out their rededicator. They think that they have to die all over again. Did Messiah have to die more than once? No. He died once. We spiritually died once so that we could live with him forever. You see, the difference between the death that freed us from sin and the life that we live from him is that the death was a one-time act, but life with him is eternal. Is that not a praise? I think it is. He lives to God. We should live to God as well. And that means to live a resurrected life. To live a life understanding that we're no longer slaves of sin, but slaves unto righteousness because you must serve Somebody, I'm quoting Bob Dylan. That's all right, you can look it up. Question number three as we look at verses 12 to 14. Who reigns in your life? I'm going to read those verses again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, if sin were just a thing, it would not have authority over you. I believe sin is a power. And sin reigns in the mortal body. But Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It's a choice. Don't let it reign so that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Who reigns in your life? To who or whom do you owe allegiance? Do you owe allegiance to the power of sin, or do you owe allegiance 
to the one who paid the price for your eternal freedom. And sin's power is in lust. Sin's power is in lust. Verse 12, that you should obey it in its lusts. Sin's power gets you to think about me, myself, and I, and not others. Sin's power is not only in lust, but you have to choose who you offer up the members of your body to. That doesn't mean we all have to go around and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to look like. As a matter of fact, I saw a post on Facebook the other day. I shared it for those of you who follow my Facebook page of someone who asked a question of an elderly Chinese doctor, said, should I do cardio every day to make my life longer? He said, no. You do cardio every day, you die sooner. Go take a nap. (laughs) Now, there was more to it, but I can't exactly remember the rest of it. The point is, who are you serving? Because if sin reigns, it reigns in lust and in selfishness. But if God reigns, then your body becomes an instrument of righteousness and sin has no authority. Earlier this morning, we read from Galatians 5, 13 to 15, that everyone in the body of Messiah is a part of the body, a member of the body. Think of your body, okay, with various members. And every part of your body should be submitting itself to the righteousness of God. Your ears. Do you listen to stuff you know you shouldn't listen to? Your mouth. Do you speak words that you know you shouldn't speak? Your body. Do you do things to your body that you know you shouldn't do? And sometimes, as a pastor that I was listening to on the way this morning said, and boy, wasn't it apropos, we do things that are not of God in the name of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the example he used. I laughed out loud driving on 495. You go into the grocery store and you run through the, 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 uh, the checkout and the, check, the checker forgets to ring one of your items and you go, hallelujah, praise God. <laughs> Think about it. No, we should be going, excuse me, you missed this. It's not a praise. And when we make our bodies instruments of righteousness, guess what? Other people see the righteousness that is in us, not by anything we did, but by everything that he did. Our witness as believers in Messiah is greatly tarnished when we don't use our bodies as instruments of righteousness. It has been said in many of the reports that the biggest cause for atheism in the United States is Christianity. Because what kind of a witness are we showing? What kind of a witness are we exampling? Is it just a head knowledge of who we are? Or is it a heart knowledge that translates into what we do and what we say? Who reigns in your life? Sin, so that you would obey its lusts? Or God, so that you would be instruments to righteousness.
Question number four. Do you take advantage of God's grace? Verses 15 to 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? I want to refer you back to the first verse of this where it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then you have to go back to Romans 5, 20 and 21, which says this. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Yippee, I can sin all I want. And Paul asks the question, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Grace covers abounding sin. And he answers his own question. No way. Certainly not. God forbid, and may it never be. Do you not know? How many times have you said that to your kids? Don't you know when they act contrary to what they should do because they know what's right but choose what's wrong? Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. I believe that for us in this day and age, this doesn't just talk about salvation or not. It even talks to us as believers who choose to sin and suffer death in many different ways. We suffer it with physical ailments. We suffer it with emotional ailments. We may even suffer it with mental ailments. We suffer it with financial predicaments and a lack of trust in God, which is a death as far as I'm concerned. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been, done deal, set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You ever thought about the fact that God's world is upside down and backwards? The only way you can be free is to be a slave of God. You got to serve somebody. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Do you take advantage of God's grace? Some people call that sloppy agape. You choose mentally, but by your actions, you choose, in fact, whom you serve. Sin leads to death. Obedience leads to righteousness. And obedience, dear ones, is from the heart to believe what is true about you. We go back to the first question. Who are you? What is your identity? Your identity is the identity of Messiah. Everybody right now should be thinking of the verse that I quote at least once a month. Galatians 2.20. I have been, past tense, done deal, crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, in this body, 
I live by faith, trust, and submitting to the authority of the Son of God. Do you take advantage of God's grace? And finally, verses 20 to 23. What fruit are you producing? What fruit are you producing? Now, I know some of you may be standing, you know, sitting there and going, Dennis, who are you to judge me? I'm not. I'm not here to judge you, but I am your fruit inspector. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit into holiness and in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. What fruit are you producing? Put it this way, whose garden are you tending? What field are you picking weeds from? The field of sin or the field of God? Is your wage death or is your wage life? We have been given salvation by faith unto good works. And the good works are works that submit ourselves to the authority of God and the righteousness of God and serve others as if they were better than ourselves. It's not rocket science. But there's one phrase here, one half a sentence that I kind of passed over because many people pass over them And I can't pass over it anymore because I believe it's one of the most misunderstood phrases in the entire book of Romans. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 14, the second part of the verse. For you are not under law, but under grace. To which... This false dichotomy of grace versus the law has come into the teaching of the body of Messiah. As if there's something antithetical between grace and law. And nothing could be the furthest, further from the truth. Because this entire section talks about who will you serve? And so really, you might paraphrase this. You are not under the law where sin abounds and is your authority figure. No, you are under grace where God abounds and is your authority figure. And oh, by the way, the grace of God plants the law in your heart and on your mind. I've heard too many people And it makes me cringe when I hear it. Say that the law was bad, but God's grace is good. I don't know about you, but if God wrote it, there's nothing bad about it. And just because it was written to point us to Messiah, just because it was written, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that instead of just one law, which Adam had, now Israel had 613 laws, the chance to sin and disobey a God multiplied, so sin abounded. 
But the law wasn't put there so that sin could abound. The law was put there and sin abounded. Do you follow? And so the question is, are you under law, under the authority of sin, or are you under grace, under the authority of God? Who are you? Who do you serve? Have you been crucified? Have you held a good funeral service for the old person? Have you been resurrected with him to newness of life? Paul writes that the three things that are most important to him to understand is the death of Messiah, his burial, and his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you not know that there is power in resurrected life? There's freedom in resurrected life. There's testimony in resurrected life. There's witness in resurrected life. Have you reckoned yourself not just dead to sin, but resurrected and alive to God? We need to answer the question, who or what reigns in our life? And it's a choice. It's a choice. You have a will. It's a free will. God doesn't make you a robot. But he does want you to obey. Who reigns in your life? Are you taking advantage of his grace? Do you shrink back from the responsibilities that God says you should take on? Do you shrink back from the call of God on your life? Do you say to God, that seems a little bit too hard. I don't think you quite understand my circumstances. Or do you say, as Isaiah said, Hineni, here I am. Send me. You know, we sometimes think that when we're in difficult circumstances, God is not there and we're waiting for him to arrive. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you're in difficult circumstances, God is in the midst of it with you. Just like God was in the midst of the Red Sea before it parted. Just like God was in the midst of the Jordan River before the children of Israel entered into the land of Canaan. Just like God is in the midst of any problem or tribulation or circumstance that you're going in until the circumstance is taken care of and then you can give glory to the God who was there with you. If you are co-crucified, buried and resurrected with the Messiah, then you are with him and he is with you 100% of the time. You don't have a choice. The question is, are you going to act like it's true? And that's the choice we have to make. And finally, what fruit are you producing? You know, there's something about rotten fruit that affects the rest of the tree and affects the rest of the branch. Maybe God's got some pruning he needs to do in your life so that when the pruning's done, the fruit can be sweeter, larger, more abundant, and in the sense of our witness to the world around us, more effective. What fruit are you producing? Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our God, our King, our Sovereign 
our authority, our master, redeemer, savior, king, healer, and everything else that is about you. Please, Lord, remind all of us daily of who we are, whose we are, and how we are supposed to act so that we can properly represent you and your kingdom to a dead and dying world. Thank you for the part you give us to play in your eternal plan. Let us not shrink back from your call when we think it's just too much for us. Let us understand that you know what we can do and you know what we can handle and you know what we can bear because in essence, it's your son that's bearing it with us and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close our service with the benediction? Again, if you're new to Son of David, nobody stands by themselves. Please find someone to stand with you. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace. Yivarechecha Adonai miyishmerecha, Yair Adonai panavein lecha v'yichunecha. Yisadonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. Samlecha shalom. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he'll be your rest. This is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he is your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pariha Gafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We invite you downstairs to our Onik Shabbat. 
Also, as we have mentioned in the past, we can use more servers, more setup, and more cleanup after the Oneg Shabbat. And please, ministry leaders, remember that at 1.30, we'll be meeting down the hall for a leaders' meeting. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom.